Today we're going to talk a little bit more about the nature of spiritual leadership. And as I say that, I know there are people sitting here thinking, I don't really care who this church appoints as elders. I'm, I'm visiting. It's not my church. Are we just going to spend the whole time talking about things that have nothing to do with us? And the answer to that is no. Because I think this has to do with all of us. I think it has to do with all of us. Not just because I think eldership is important and we want to have good leaders, obviously. But because I think we all need to think about leadership in our own lives. What is important to us? I've titled this brief series leading up to the meeting, uh, Keeping Life on Track in 2016. And I probably should have left off the last part because it's not just about 2016. It's how do we keep our lives on track in general? How do we know where we're going and put things in place to get us there? And so we're going to be talking about leadership. And I think as we do that, we have to look at the world's way of looking at leadership. The world really holds up people that are bold, people that are boisterous, people that are, are, are strong-willed and opinionated and don't care what anybody thinks or who they hurt. They're just going to speak and they're going to say, oh, if you don't like it, tough luck. And, and we look at those people and we go, oh, you're such a strong leader. And I think as Christians, we need to take a step back and say, wait a minute, is that the kind of leadership that Scripture teaches? Is that what we mean by a leader? Now, this is not just about church leadership. And and I want to help you to see this in two important ways. One is that each one of you, I guarantee in some way, shape, or form, you have somebody in your life that exercises some kind of leadership over you. Fair enough? So I want to help you to choose good leaders in your life. Now, you might say, wait a minute, Dave, I don't get to pick my leaders. I mean, maybe there's a leader and, and you know, some guy in the White House, and you didn't vote for him, so you didn't get to pick him. You probably didn't get to vote for your boss. I don't know of many places that do that. Uh, you might say, hey, I don't even like my boss, but that's the leader over me. I want to just challenge that a little bit. I think there's a difference between authority and who you give leadership to. There are people that have authority over you that you have to do what they say because they're your boss or you know they're a policeman or whoever it is. I see leadership as a little different. Leadership is giving somebody the right, whether intentionally or unintentionally, to speak into your heart and your mind and your soul. It's giving somebody a shaping influence on your life. Now, you might give that to your boss, even the boss that you don't like. He or she does something and you spend the rest of the day complaining about it. You just allowed that person to shape your heart and your attitude. Even in your complaint about them, you caused them and gave them that permission. I'm going to be who I am because of who they were, even though I don't like it. That's a case of unintentional or or unquestioning giving somebody leadership into your life. So we need to think biblically about how we give leadership to other people. Who do we allow to speak into our heart and to shape our motives and our thoughts? So that's one. But the second, I think, is not as obvious. We are all leaders. Every single one of us is a leader in some way, shape, or form. If leadership is having influence over somebody else's thoughts, motives, uh, spiritual life, then each one of you has that kind of influence in somebody's life. It could be your kids. Parents, I think this one's pretty obvious. Your kids are looking at you. You don't get to choose. I don't want to be a leader to them. You're a leader. Your coworkers are looking to you, especially the ones that aren't saved. What does it mean to be a Christian? You are now an influence on them of what it means to be a Christian. 
You might say, wait a minute, I never asked for that. doesn't matter. You have that influence. If you're here and you, maybe you're single, or maybe you don't have kids, or you're a grandparent and your kids aren't here, you're a leader to some kid in this auditorium. You're a leader to some kid in this church because they're looking to you as somebody that's older, further down the road, and they're saying, how does that person act? How do they speak? Who are they? You're a leader to them. And again, you might say, like so many sports figures, I'm not a role model, I'm not a leader. You don't get to say that. We don't get to make that choice. We have an influence on somebody. Probably many somebodies. So the question for us today is, how are we evaluating and carefully discerning who we are giving leadership to in our lives? And how are we evaluating and discerning how we are leading others? And as we do that, the more we can get that right, the more natural I think it's going to be to choose good church leaders and good leaders across the board. So do you see how this is all connecting? You with me? All right. So let's start this way. See, Scripture talks in many different ways, but two particular metaphors that it uses for leadership, serving and shepherding. So we're going to look at these two things. Open up to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 5 through 11, particularly. I'm reaching for a cup that's not there. I hate when I do that. Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, really in the book of Philippians as a whole, like Paul does in all of his letters, he's writing to a church about things that are important. And he's tailoring his message to things that are important to that church specifically. So if we look at the first couple of verses, uh, look at verses 1 through 4, we'll see why he's writing this to the church at Philippi. He says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. So he's saying to this church, I assume they were having some problems in this area. There was selfishness in their ranks. They they weren't getting along for some reason. Or maybe they were getting along and he just wanted to make sure it continued. But what he's saying is, this is really important that you interact with each other in the right way. So then I kind of imagine Paul as he's writing this, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Okay, what can I say to really drive that home? What what example can I give them of how to interact with each other? Well, probably the best example of just about anything is Jesus Christ. What about Christ will help me to help them know how to live their lives? And he points to his service. Look at what he says in verses 5 and 6. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Let's just stop there. Because if we're going to understand being a servant in our lives, and then take that and understand servant leadership in our lives, in our churches, wherever it is. There's a few things we need to understand. Our culture looks at a servant often as being somebody who's weak. You have to serve in order to get to where you need to go. 
The more you work hard, take your lumps, just don't ask questions, just do what people tell you to do, the more you can climb the ladder and eventually you'll get there. It's sort of this step on your way to success. The Bible looks at it very differently. At the highest level, Jesus puts servant. And he says the servant has to know who he is. You have to know your identity. We might say a servant is one who serves because, well, they don't think much of themselves or they're not all that important and they're not that great. I'm, I'm really nobody special, so I just serve. With Jesus, it's just the opposite. Jesus knows exactly who he is. It says, who being in very nature God. Did Jesus think lowly of himself? Did he think he was worthless and awful? Well, I'm just a servant because I'm not good at anything else. No, Jesus looked at himself and said, I'm God. I have all the authority. I have all the power. What am I going to do with it? I'm going to serve. I believe that it's Jesus' identity and knowing his identity of his power and his authority that allowed him to serve. I think it's when we fail to understand our identity in Christ and how great we are in Christ that we become proud and arrogant You know what I've found is that those that are often the strongest, outspoken, uh, prideful, arrogant leaders that the world and sometimes churches even say, oh, what a strong person, what a strong person. In my experience, those are the most insecure people I've ever met. Because they're having to prove themselves over and over and over again. And the leader that's seeking to prove himself over and over again, or herself, is a dangerous leader. Because that position now becomes another peg on their board of proving how great they are. That's not what it was for Jesus. Jesus didn't come to earth to prove how great he was. He didn't die on the cross to prove that we were so awful and we just need him. He knew exactly who he was. And because he was so secure in that identity, he was able then to serve. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. The phrase there means Jesus didn't have to fight for this. He didn't come to earth to say, I'm going to show those people how great I am. I'm going to make them believe. If anything, when you study the Gospels, you see Jesus reluctant to prove himself. He never felt the need to prove who he was. In fact, sometimes he would heal somebody and say, don't tell anybody. Because he didn't want them to believe in him because they thought he was so awesome and amazing because he had done these powerful things. He wanted them to believe in him because they trusted who he is. He knew who he was, but he didn't have to flaunt it. He didn't have to use it for his own advantage. So this attitude or this understanding of his identity, being God, having all the authority and all the power, look at what action it led to, verses 7 through 8. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus had every right to claim he was God. That's what he could have grabbed onto, held up, and said, look at me, this is who I am. Instead, what he claimed and grabbed onto and held up was service. He said, I'm going to be a servant. I'm going to provide an example for you of service. And I'm going to provide an example by going to the cross and dying on the cross because you can't do that for yourself. I'm going to serve you in that way. And then he turns around and he says, now this is how you're to serve each other. And what's the result? 
verses 9 through 11. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now you might want to look at that and say, see, oh there, that's why I want to be a leader. That's why I want to be a leader, because look at the influence he had. Look at how great it was. He was lifted up and glorified. Who lifted him up and glorified him? God the Father. Jesus didn't do it to himself. We don't lead to say, look how great I am. Leaders in the church, leaders in our own lives, the way you interact with others, it's not in an effort to make them see how great you are. That's God's job, and he will do it in his timing, and as he wills, that's up to him. Our job, in line with this passage, serve. Humbly, serve. If nobody notices, serve. If nobody cares, serve. If nobody appreciates it, serve. Because that's what Jesus did. What about us? What if we really knew our identity in Christ? I picked out just a few key phrases, key ideas from Scripture. We're created by God in His image. We've talked about that a lot. We have eternal life, John 3.16. We have it now. We are absolutely secure that in Christ, we are guaranteed eternal life forever and ever. We have been brought from being an enemy of God in our sin to not only being a friend of God through Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, but a child of God adopted into his family. That's who we are right now if you, are, have, if you have accepted Christ as your Savior. We are loved by our perfectly heavenly Father. The one that we should care the most about what he thinks about us has already declared through his Son, Jesus Christ, he loves us. And he says nothing can change that. Nothing will take that away. We also know the future. We will be rescued from death. Death is not the end of us. We will spend eternity in the very presence of God Almighty through Jesus Christ. We will live forever with him. What if we woke up every day and in our interactions with other people and the influence we seek to have with them, the the reputation we want to have, what if just these few things we could remind ourselves of over and over again? This is who I am in Jesus Christ. I don't need anything from you. I can interact with you. I can help you. I can seek help from you in a way that says, I don't ultimately need anything from you because I've already got it all from God. So I am just free then to serve. The person that needs people to applaud for them, the person that needs people to follow them, the person that needs people to think highly of them, frankly, doesn't think high enough of themselves because they don't understand who they are in Christ. Because what this world has to offer us is always going to be less than what God has to offer us. How would we serve others if we truly understood our identity in Christ? But don't take my word for it. Jesus comes to his disciples and he tells them in Mark chapter 10. He's sitting them down and he's he's talking to them about, about service. And he says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentile lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. And listen to this phrase, not so with you. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus tells his disciples, and I think all of us, And he's saying, look, you got to serve. 
If you want to help others, you've got to serve. Leaders serve. It's what they do. And this is in the church. It's outside the church. Spiritual leaders lead by serving. If you want to lead others to Jesus Christ, start by serving them. If you want to show others the love and the character and the nature of Christ, I think the best way you're going to do that is by serving them. If you want to influence how somebody thinks, how they act, if you want to point them in the right direction in their life toward God, serve them. Serve them. People are going to listen to your service a lot more than your lectures. Serve them. Spiritual leaders lead by serving. But spiritual leaders also serve by leading. The act of leadership should be an act of service. It's hard sometimes. Leaders are faced with decisions that other people don't have to take. They don't have to make. There are things that the leadership of this church know that go on that some of you don't know. And the volunteers in the ministry may not be aware of, but we have to deal with it. And we do it to serve you so you can keep doing what you need to do and we'll take care of some of this other stuff. It's hard. When you step into a leadership role, anybody that's a parent knows this, it's tough. You're going to be faced with things that stretch you and push you. This is why sports figures will often say, oh, I'm not a role model. I don't want to be a role model. It's because they're lazy. They don't want that pressure. But we need to look at our own life and say, tough. I have that responsibility. I have influence over other people. Am I going to serve them? Am I going to lovingly lead them by serving them? So are you, ser- are you seeking out servant leaders in your own life? Is that who you're allowing to speak to you and to motivate you and to shape you as a person? Are you living as a servant leader? How do you interact with other people? Is it just to get what you want or is it to serve them? And then are we being careful to appoint servant leaders in our church? Spiritual leadership is servant leadership. But I think there's another aspect we need to look at in Scripture. Because service can be misconstrued as a responsibility to keep people happy. It's sort of like the person that's lying in bed and they need help and they have a little bell and they ring it and somebody comes. What do you want? Oh, I want this. Okay, I'll get it for you. Well, what do you want? I want this. Okay, I'll get it for you. And the goal is you just keep me happy. You're serving me, so you better keep me happy. And I think that attitude then comes into the church as well. And in the moment we're not happy, the moment something's not going our way, well, then the leadership isn't doing their job because they're not serving us. And this brings up the other metaphor, shepherding. In Scripture, leaders are spoken of as shepherds. And the key distinction, I think, here is that a shepherd leads in such a way that's good for the sheep, even though sometimes, quite frankly, the sheep don't see it. Even though sometimes the sheep fight it. The shepherd leads in a way that is good for the sheep. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 34. When people ask me one of the most important passages in Scripture on eldership, leadership in general, I like to take them to Ezekiel 34. This has shaped my understanding of leadership throughout the years. I think it's a much overlooked passage in leadership, which is a shame because it's pretty obvious what it's saying. I think it's overlooked because we don't like what it's saying. In Ezekiel chapter 34... God is chastising. He's laying into the leadership of Israel. 
And he's calling them shepherds. He's not actually speaking to the shepherds, those out on the hills watching the flocks. He's talking to the leaders who are shepherding the people, the leaders that are there to serve the people as shepherds. And I want you to just listen. I'm going to read verses 1 through 16 because I think the weight of this passage is so obvious. I just want to read. And as I read, I want you to hear what were the leaders doing? What were they not doing? And what does God say they should be doing? And then think about how you lead in your own life and who you look to for leaders and say, where would we be on this side, on the sides of this equation? Would we, would we be those that God would chastise? Or would we be those that are following the way God says to shepherd people? Ezekiel 34, starting in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, you clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not care for the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for the flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture. And the mountains, heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in a good grazing land. There they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. That's powerful stuff. Who wants to be a leader? (laughs) It's a high calling. It's a high calling, I think, to step up into those authoritarian positions, like being an elder, like being a public servant in some way, shape, or form, like being a, a ministry team. It's a high calling. But I think it's also a high calling to just recognize you're a leader in every situation of your life. Now, maybe this applies to you in different ways, but let's look at some issues that were going on here. A key issue we see in verses 1 through 6 is that the shepherds, the leaders, saw the people as people that were there to serve them. Do you see that? The people were there to meet their needs. So the goal of the shepherd then becomes, how do I get people to do what I want? 
to move on to my agenda to fulfill my plans and my dreams. Now, what happens with this is that if the person is no longer fulfilling what you want, you push them out of the way and you get somebody else in there. This leads to a metaphor of, of sort of the leader that says, I'm here and my job is to get my people that I'm leading over here. This is what's really important. I'm going to do whatever I can to get from here to there. And if you don't like it, get off. And if I have to move in this direction, because I'm the big, bold, strong leader, and, and nobody follows me, well, look at me. Look how great I am. I'm over here and everybody else is over there. What would you say about a shepherd that had that attitude? If the shepherd gets back to the sheepfold or gets to the green pasture that's so wonderful to sheep and has no sheep with him, is that a good shepherd? No. Might be a great strong leader in the world's way of looking at it, but is a horrible shepherd. Because the whole point of moving from here to there for the shepherd is for the sake of the health of the sheep. The shepherd looks at where the sheep is where the sheep are, and says, look, this pasture is not good enough. They've eaten all the grass. I need to move them over there. They may want to stay here. They may fight and complain. They may try to run off. But they need to be moved over here because this is where the green pasture is, and they need to be healthy. I will suffer, and I will serve them, and I will help them, and I will pick them up, and I will walk with them, and I will call them, and I will push them, even if necessary, because for their own good, they need to be over here. The shepherd leads for the sake of the sheep. And so God steps in because the leaders of Israel weren't doing it. And he says, I'm going to take your job from you. There's a really incredible passage. Uh, where is it? Verse 10. Where he says, I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths. God's saying, you're eating my sheep. I'm going to reach in and snatch them out of your mouth. I think we've developed a culture. Now, let me switch that. I think we've given into a culture that says that people are, are things that we're to use for our own good. And I think it's coming to the church in big, big ways. I think we're, we so emphasize the program and the attendance and the membership list. And, and don't get me wrong. I think programs are important. I think attendance is great. I think membership is important. We emphasize it here. But if you emphasize those things as, oh, look how great we are, look at what we've accomplished, then you're either going to help me accomplish what I want or you're not. And if you're not, get out, because I don't want you. That's not a shepherd. That's not how shepherds deal with people. Shepherds deal with people saying, how can I help you be the person God's made you to be? How can I lead you to Jesus Christ? That might fit with my program, and I hope that our programs help you to do that. But if they don't, we don't just say, get out. We say, how can we help you? How can we spur you along? Shepherds also don't get to just keep the sheep happy. And this is where shepherding gets tough. Parents, you know this. If you parent in such a way that keeps your child happy all the time, you're probably not doing it right. It's not going to go well. There are times, for the sake of your kids, you have to make them miserable. If we look at the history of Israel, it, you know, as we look at Ezekiel 34, I think we'd all say, oh man, I want leadership like that in my life. Man, what a godly, wonderful, loving, compassionate leadership. How did God shepherd the people of Israel? He took them to Egypt where they became slaves. He took them through the wilderness where they all died and a new generation came along. He took them into exile so that they would return to him. 
This is hard stuff. Okay? But he did it for their own good because they weren't learning lessons. And all along the way, he said, please come back to me. He sent them warning after warning after warning, but he still did it for their own good because God cares for his sheep. God cares for you. What has he brought you through because he loves you? What has he brought you through so that he can shepherd you and care for you? Maybe it wasn't pretty. Maybe it was awful. Those are difficult things. A lot of people ask me today, how are you doing? How are you doing? How are you doing? Because I guess somebody yesterday led on that I was having some issues. I have what's called spontaneous pneumothorax. Pneumothorax means hole in the lung. Spontaneous means for stupid reasons. And uh, it's Latin. Don't worry about it. A couple times a year, my lung collapses. So my couple times this year so far was yesterday. (laughs) So... I, and I guess it went to the women's event that I was struggling in. You can blame my wife for that one. But I'm doing okay. I'm hurting. Um, I'm sore. I'm tired. I want to go home and lay down. But I'm okay. But I say that not for your sympathy. I say that because this is one of those things I look at my life often and say, God, why? I've struggled with this since junior high. Why? There's no rhyme or reason to it. There's no cure. There's no getting over it. There's just enduring it. And it stinks. It really stinks. It hurts so much when it happens. Why? You know my answer for why? I don't know. But God does. But I can tell you how God has used it in my life. I depend on him. Every breath is a gift. Every breath I know is not my own and I don't have control over it. My lung can collapse like that. And when it does, I could be sore for a couple hours like I was yesterday and then for the most part be okay and a little tired. Or I could be laid up for a week. I don't know. I could be rushed to the hospital to try to have my life saved. I just don't know. Fortunately, that's never had to happen. But God shepherds me. And I trust in his wisdom. He knew something about me that I didn't know about myself. And he's never left me and he's never forsaken me. And I believe he's doing the same with you. He knows what's best for you. And he loves you enough to carry it out, even if you're kicking and screaming the whole way. Because that's what shepherd leaders do. Paul was able to say to the Corinthian church, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. I wonder, would you be comfortable saying that to somebody in your life? And I don't mean out of arrogance. I don't mean out of, oh, I'm so awesome. I'm so much more like Christ than you are that you should follow me. I mean, do you truly believe in your life in general you are seeking to follow Christ? And simply by that fact alone, you should be an example to somebody else? Because Paul felt that way. And frankly, I think we should too. We should be so following Christ that if somebody's struggling, we may not know the answers, we may not know what to say, but we should be able to say, hey, why don't you just come along with me? Let's walk together for a while. Let's follow Christ together. That's shepherding. That's caring. And if you're going to do that, you've got to be in Scripture. We've really emphasized with the elders a lot of study. Some people have said, you know, some elders, some leaders, they're not very studious. They're not going to spend a lot of time in reading. I get that. There are very wise, smart people that don't spend a lot of time reading. But if you're going to shepherd the people of God, you have got to spend time reading the Word of God, period. You've got to spend time studying. There's no way away from that. And so, yes, our process for deciding whether or not somebody should be an elder includes a ton of reading, a ton of discussion, and a ton of prayer, and even some writing. 
maybe a ton of writing if you ask the candidates. It was a lot of work. Because that's what they're going to do as elders. When a problem comes up in the church, we're not going to sit around going, what do you think? I don't know. What do you think? Or, hey, this is what we did last year or 10 years ago. We're going to say, hey, let's open up the Word of God. Okay, you've got this passage, and for the next week, you're going to study that. And you've got this passage. We're going to get together in a week or two, and we're going to share all of our findings that we studied from the Word of God, and then we're going to teach that to the people. That's what spiritual shepherds do. And it's hard, hard work. And it's work behind the scenes that a lot of people will never see. It's hard. That's elders. But even you, as you shepherd people and are a leader to them, are you spending time in the Word of God? I could open up my phone right now, and I have an app on my phone that I could open up probably 100 different reading plans. And you talk about reminders. Every day it could send me a reminder. Hey, you're supposed to read this passage today. We live in a world that makes it so easy to do these things. We have God's Word in so many different translations, so many different colored bindings, so many different types of bindings. We have men's study Bibles and women's study Bibles and puppy study Bibles. I don't Hey, I should market that one. There's so many different ones. My point is this. I think we have it easier than any people throughout the course of history to spend time in the Word of God. And yet sometimes I wonder if we spend less time than the generations before us. If you're going to spiritually shepherd others, and you are, either well or poorly, you need to spend time in Scripture. Otherwise, all you're passing on is your own flaws. And they need more than that. It's also why spiritual maturity is so important. We've tried to emphasize as we pick elders, we're not looking for CEOs. We're not looking for great businessmen. We're not looking for people that the world would say, oh, what an amazing leader. We're looking for spiritually mature people. People that know the Word of God, have handled it well, and can apply it to difficult situations. And if you want to be a good leader in your life, and I hope you do, seek spiritual maturity. If you're going to give somebody else leadership over you, make sure they're spiritually mature. So what do we do with this? Leadership is ultimately leading people under, onto God's agenda. Not our own plans, not our own purposes, God's agenda. So we need to know that through his word. We need to humbly shepherd and serve others to gently, lovingly, but still encourage them along the way. Would you say you see this in your own life? Are you serving others and shepherding them? And who? Who should you serve and shepherd? Be specific. Pray about that. Be intentional in your relationship with them. One of the things I found is people step up in leadership in some way, shape, or form, they immediately realize how inadequate they are, and hopefully it drives you to Scripture. You'll spend more time in the Word of God. You'll spend more time praying because you'll realize you're in completely over your heads, and that's exactly where you should be. Shepherd them. Serve them. Do we see this in our church? Are we shepherding people or just organizing them? As we move towards elders, we're trying to put a leadership structure in place that serves and shepherds the church, not just cracks the whip and say, you need to do this, 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 and this. And so we've been diligent in the process to choose men that show these qualities of serving and shepherding. And I hope that you've seen that in them. So let's prayerfully consider these candidates. Let's consider them through the word of God, not just our own ideas. We want leadership in our lives and in our church that is able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. 
And here's the neat thing. As we each do this individually in our lives, as we seek to be good leaders of others and we seek to put have others be good leaders of us, as we're thinking about that constantly in biblical terms, guess what? Appointing good leaders in church will be easy because we'll be naturals at it. We'll be doing it all the time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that we could each take seriously the nature of leadership in our own lives. I pray that we would understand and and take responsibility for how we lead others, how we are an example, how we have influence. May we not be lazy and not take that serious. May we not be lazy and say that we're not leaders because we are. Somebody is watching us. May we be intentional about them, about that, for that person's good, to shepherd them, to love them, to serve them. May we be careful who we give leadership to in our own lives. May we be careful as Christians to be, to be really careful about who we put up on pedestals. May we choose those people in such a way that it's in line with the Word of God. May we be followers of servants and shepherds. And then God as a church, guide us, lead us. We believe you have led us to these three men that are going to lead us through this process and shepherd and serve our church, but we are praying your will be done. God, I just I don't want to just do the right things. I want to do it for the right reason. I want to do it in the right way. So shepherd us by appointing shepherds over us to continue helping us to shepherd each other and to shepherd others. And thank you, Father, for the great shepherd, Jesus Christ, who served us by dying on the cross in our place and rising from the dead on the third day, promising eternal life to all who believe. Boy, if we could really trust that, then I think we would be freed up to serve people without needing anything in return. It is in the great name of Jesus we pray. Amen.